Thanks for listening to the show. Join us online at playvolutionhq.com and learn how to support the show at explorationsearlylearning.com slash support. Welcome to Renegade Rules. Kick back, settle in, and let us fill your ear holes with early learning information, wisdom, and advice. And now, here's Heather and Jeff. Welcome to Renegade Rules. Jeff Johnson here. Virtually with me is Heather Shoemaker. And our guests, Julie and Heather, are back again. This time we're talking about sleep from their book, The Happy Sleeper. Where are we going to get started this time, Heather? Well, um, and, and this is Heather Turgeon and Julie Wright, who are co-authors, which I'm impressed by because being an author, I couldn't imagine writing a book with another person, and they've done it twice, um, <laughs> well, maybe we, even more than that. <laughs> I think we feel the opposite about each other. We can't imagine writing without each other at this point. Absolutely not. Can't imagine doing it. And they have been on a couple episodes of Renegade Rules, and today we're going to dive into their favorite topic of sleep, which is one of my hugest favorite topics, too, and Jeff says also. But um, they say they know too much about sleep, so we're going to challenge them to share with us some great ideas about sleep in just a 20-minute episode. So welcome to the show again, and in case we skipped it last time, we wanted to tell people the names of your books, The Happy Sleeper, and then um, the second book, Now Say This, The Right Words to Solve Every Parenting Dilemma. Happy Sleeper, um, what are some of your words of wisdom? You said sleep was like clean air. It's just essential. It's just unsexy. People don't like hearing go to bed and get good sleep. They just don't like doing it in their lives. So how do you transform our kind of negative attitude towards sleep in this country and and show people how wonderful it is? (laughs) Well, I feel like it's starting to change. I feel like it is starting to change the the pride in how little sleep you need. I, I don't hear that as much. And I think a lot of sleep research is coming out and people are really starting to get it. So um, I sure like to go to bed at night. (laughs) Um, I think that what Heather and I have found is that when we help people with babies and young children hand over the role of self-soothing and falling asleep independently to their baby or child, the most common reaction we get is how shocked they are at how capable their child is. You know, and we start with the premise babies are built to sleep. And the hardest thing is is extracting the parents from helping them, whether it's lying down with a six-year-old or rocking or nursing a six-month-old all the way to sleep. So getting getting the, the parents help out of the way so that the child can do what they're already capable of doing is really the crux. And it's not easy to do, and that's why having our book or having our help makes a difference. Mm -hmm. And you talk about how the child is capable of sleeping and and needs to learn that skill of self-soothing and get to sleep, but that we can create bedtime routines that are helpful. But then when it's time to sleep, leave them to it. Yes, with the right support in place so that they don't feel abandoned or scared. Mm -hmm. Right. So... 
Um, and talking about older children, um, I'm sure most people come to you when, when they're, they don't get enough sleep and their, their babies aren't sleeping the way they want them to. But what about older kids? Um, it seems that with frantic schedules, um, even school schedules, you know, concerts and things that start in the evening or um, activities that start in the evening, that kids in elementary school and, and older really aren't getting enough sleep either, but that most families don't see it as a problem or they think, oh, yeah, they're getting plenty of sleep, but maybe they're a couple hours sleep-deprived. What, um, what do you see for the older kids and how much sleep do they need? Yeah, I think that's a that's very true about older kids. People, we we get a lot of calls for sleep consultations with preschoolers because a lot of parents are doing as Julie described, having to lie you know lie down until the child falls asleep, and then they wake up in the middle of the night, and there's a lot of disruption to the family with with young children, and they do see it as a problem. But then, just like you're saying, in elementary school, there's homework, there's sports, there's I mean, sports games, my son has, you know, practices that don't end until seven o'clock at night. And he, depending on the night, he might have um, some, you know, a project or a test or something like that. And um, that is a big problem. It's also tied to the very early start times, which don't get me started because uh. I could go on forever about <laughs> But, um, you know, the basically like life is compressed on both ends for, for children who have, you know, ambitious academic stuff going on and, and sports and they get, um, and then screens. So they're, they're crammed on the nighttime and the, on the dark side of the, you know, the evening. And then they're also having to wake up too early in the morning. So, um, elementary school kids need, I mean, kindergartners could need up to 12 hours of sleep. It depends on the kindergartner. Um, just like we, you know, if I need eight hours of sleep, somebody else might need seven and a half and another adult might need nine. Kids are a little bit like that, too. And um, so somewhere between 10 and 12 hours a night for elementary schoolers, so maybe more like 12 for the kindergartners and up to 10 or 11 sometimes for a fifth grader. Um, teenagers need nine and a half hours on average. So if you sort of work backwards from there, um, you know, they they really, the, the middle schoolers and the, the fifth graders still need a good 10 or 11 hours sometimes. Right. And I wonder how much we get that. I have a child who needs heavy doses of sleep and he's fifth grade and generally needs 12 hours still, sometimes can mm -hmm. get by with 11. And that doesn't fit too well in the, in the day, right. you know, <laughs> that the right. world doesn't allow that amount of sleep. Um, but I think also teenagers, they, um, they really do sleep a lot. Um, you talked about you're not getting into school start times. I think the biggest part of with school start times that I've heard the conversation is with the, the high school age. But is it also a concern with um, when they start with the younger ages? Yes, it's a, the, I mean, the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends 8.30 or later for middle and high school. And that's really because, you know, for a lot of them, their internal clocks are starting to shift um, in, in middle school. And they're, they're, you know, they're just biologically, they're not able to fall asleep as early. And they do, they, you know, it's just, there's a mountain of evidence about how detrimental it can be to have to wake them up in the morning before they've really finished their full night of sleep. And it has all kinds of safety and academic and health implications. So, um, 
but yeah, if you kind of work backwards from there, then then elementary schoolers, yes, they don't have that shift in their biological clock, but they also need more sleep, like you're saying, up to 12 hours a night. So right. yeah, we don't expect so my, adults my to start. Is, oh, oh, sorry. My I, thought is always that if children um, don't need to be woken up or don't need an alarm clock to wake up, if they just wake up naturally, that that's the amount of sleep they need if, if that happens consistently. And when we do have to wake them up or have them set an alarm, that's a sign they're not getting enough sleep. Or if they fall asleep in the car or some other time, like trying to read a book, <laughs> that's mm-hmm. a sign they're just not getting enough sleep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's absolutely true. So what other um, types of sleep wisdom do you have to share that um, that really surprise people? Um, you know, we think sleep is so basic, we don't think about it much. We just, oh, it's something that takes up our time. But what is it about sleep um, that, you, that you share and present um, that really surprises people about how important it is? Um, about how, how important it is? You mean the results that they feel when they see their child sleeping better? Yeah, either for themselves, because I think the adults may be the shortest on sleep of all, um, mm-hmm. even shorter than the babies. But yeah. um, w- if we start taking your advice and going to bed earlier and putting our kids to bed earlier with a reg- more regular sleep hours, what kind of benefits um, are we going to see that might sort of be surprising? Oh, well, it's the sleep, sleep research is an interesting field because it's, it's relatively new and a lot of sleep research is still coming in and will continue to come in. And um, I was just reading an article someone sent me on uh, the relationship between sleep and obesity, which, of course, you know, Heather and I have been looking at these studies for a while, but it was new to this mom. Um, so regulation of weight is such an interesting factor. People who sleep well, their bodies just regulate their weight in a more healthy and natural way. Um, that's a really interesting one. Support for the immune system is, is really important. Um, there have been some recent studies linking lack of adequate sleep to attention deficit disorders, which of course gets a lot of parents' ears. Um, you know, just basic attention span ability to take in information, improved mood. What else, Heather? There's so many, so many things that are affected by sleep. Yeah, I think most of us have the the intuitive that if you don't get enough sleep, you're going to be grumpy the next day. That sort of mood regulation, impulse control, um, emotional um, abilities. But all these other layers like... Um, health as far as the immune system and um, and you, you mentioned obesity. I, I was watching a fascinating documentary called Sleepless in America. Um, I'm not sure who put it out, but it, it talked about how even rates of getting cancer were higher if you didn't sleep as much mm-hmm. as you needed. So and, and also all kinds of mental illness, not just physical illness. Of course, it's all linked and how crucial sleep was in departments that we might not have thought of. Yeah, it's really true. Another interesting area is quality of sleep based on how dark the room that you're sleeping in is. And this this affects adults as well as children. And again, I think that the research is still new and we're going to learn a lot more. But there are studies being done 
and overall health benefits of sleeping in a completely dark room. So um, we know that, that we all sleep better when it's dark, but in addition to that, the quality of that sleep is affected. Right. So what do you say when, when families are thinking, well, we definitely need a nightlight in that room because there's a lot of monsters lurking around? Our, our main, the, <laughs> when we work with older <laughs> kids, I mean, we, we always end up taking things out of bedrooms because we just find that people have too much stuff in the bedroom, too many, too many things that they've added to try to help. And in the end, they've got layers of stuff that actually end up getting in the way. And, and nightlights are one of them. I mean, I've seen rooms, I've gone in to do a sleep consultation with, you know, preschoolers who have three lamps and three nightlights and then the hall light is on. <laughs> it's, <laughs> I think a lot of parents can empathize with that because they, their child says, I don't, you know, I'm scared of the dark. I want the light on. And now, you know, a week later they're saying, I want another light on and I want the, the door to be open. And so that's our whole I mean goal with parents is to help them um, be, create a, a, a good sleep environment and good sleep practices and then get out of the way in a kind and, and gentle and supportive way, knowing that their child's capable very capable of sleep and that the child really wants to sleep. Um, so what we do in our sleep consultations is help people walk through exactly what to do to, to extract themselves in a kind way and to let the baby or child take over, you know, doing right. what their body really wants them to do. Right. You know, um, my, my nephew, when he was little, he was sleeping at his grandparents' house and it was a different room. You know, he wasn't at home. He was in their house. And it was very dark in that room. And he called out for his grandpa, and his grandpa came in, and he said, it's dark. And grandpa said, it's supposed to be dark. <laughs> it's supposed to be dark when you sleep. And Thank then grandpa. just calmly supported them and left. Um, but it's the reassurance that, yeah, you're right. It is dark. Mm -hmm. But that's okay, and that's good for our bodies. Mm -hmm. And I'm right here. I'm just in the next room. Exactly. Um, and I was looking at, I think it's fire prevention month or something, or if it's not, it should be. <laughs> I saw something about fire prevention this week, and they say you need to sleep with your doors closed. And a lot of kids, of course, want the door open because then they can call out more easily. Mm. Um, but that's just from a fire safety. They, they recommend having all doors closed. Mm. You can feel, if, you know, to prevent the spread of the fire quickly and to feel on the knob if it's too hot to go out that way. Interesting. Um, so that if one thing doesn't motivate a family, maybe another thing will. Yeah, well, that's, that's good for us we'll, to know. We'll use that. Yeah, we will. <laughs> I always tell parents um, of babies, I say, my advice to you, based on all my experience, is to always shut the door because then down the road you won't get into a power struggle over it. It can become such a cause for anxiety and debate and negotiating and, you know, power struggles. So I, I tell parents, if I get to them early enough to always close the door, but having this fire safety tip is going to be really helpful. Great. Yeah. And you know, our family, we do have some lights on in the house and so on. Even if the door is shut, there can be lights going under the crack. But when we go camping, it is dark. <laughs> you know, it's really dark in the tent once the sun sets and the kids never have trouble sleeping in the pitch, pitch dark. So it's interesting sometimes that being at home in a regular house with all the horrors and noises of electricity, um, they often seem more scared of monsters there than when they're outside and mm. in a tent is what I've found because mm -hmm. then there's 
there could be a deer walking by and snorting and making noises, but the the pitch dark there seems comforting. I don't know if it's the the um, cocoon of being in a small tent, but it can be really dark. And so you think, okay, my child can sleep in the complete dark. They can do it in more than one place. Mm-hmm. Or you can just put them at a tent one in the backyard when you get home. There you go. Yeah. I like that idea. <laughs> Set so up a tent in their bedroom. What What about kids and adults who fight sleep? I mean, bedtime sleep is one thing, but what about when they they just fight it 24 hours a day for, like I mentioned with my daughter, six or eight or 12 years. Any strategies, tips, suggestions? Too late for me, but maybe others out there deal with the problem. What, is it, well, what does it look like at bedtime? How do they fall asleep eventually? Uh, I, I, I think she just eventually passed out, I, I guess, but it was always, you know, and then they, she'd, she'd come into our room and then she'd, she'd, you know, we, she'd want to lay perpendicular to the way we were sleeping and, and, you know, it's nice to have her visit once in a while, but, you know, go back to your own room, those kinds of, kinds of battles and fights. Mm -hmm. Is that most common? Go, go ahead, Well, I think that, that it's um, most of the time, I mean, there, there's very rare exceptions, but children don't have the kinds of, you know, sleep issues that we do. They're, they're naturally good sleepers who just, they, but they're very quick to grab onto um, patterns and routines. And so, uh-huh. I mean, the most common thing that disrupts sleep for older children is like you're saying, either having the expectation of somebody falling asleep in, you know, going into another room to fall asleep or, and then, or being carried by into their room when they're already asleep or having someone sit there until they fall half asleep in their room and then sneak out, tiptoe out really quietly uh-huh. <laughs> because all those things, it's sort of the way that if we fall asleep in front of the television or something like that, or, and then the television goes off, you know, we really, um, we, we have to set the stage at the beginning of the night for a very clean, you know, um, handoff of responsibility for falling asleep independently. And that sets the stage for the whole night. So, cause we all wake up during the night, all of us, uh-huh. babies, kids, and adults. So you sort of have to go to sleep with a very clean premise of here I am in my super dark, good sleeping environment and I'm by myself and I'm falling asleep independently to be able to get through all those little wake-ups during the night and feel confident that you know what to do to go back to sleep. So it's all about sleep hygiene from the very beginning. Yeah. And and I think, Jeff, you might be a lost cause with 12 years of all that, but, um, <laughs> uh, you know, maybe the I, limit maybe I exaggerate. Yeah, well, you might. Um, the limit setting the parents give, you know, for example, in, in our house, we're very clear that when it, we did all the bedtime routines, um, read a story, brushed teeth, sang a lullaby, put them to bed in their safe environment. But then very clear, once you're put to bed, you don't get out except to pee or if there's a fire. <laughs> now, of course, when they're testing this out, they come, pop out every five seconds. I got to pee. There's a fire here. Um, <laughs> but, um, but then, you know, you let them go pee once, which, of course, they never have anything because they just went to the bathroom a few moments before. Um, but then a minute later, they can't, they do, but they can't pop out again. You have to be very firm and say, one time 
you got out and now there's no more pee left in your body. You have to stay in your bed and just be um, completely granite firm about this so that there's no expectation that if they just say, oh, one more minute or one more hug or one more something, it's just one of these non-negotiable things. You're in your bed. You've been put to bed. Good night. And I would even change my voice tone. I'd, um, you know, They knew the rule and they were just pushing it. I would just um, change from my normal loving voice to being slightly sterner, not yelling at them, but sort of slightly. They knew they better scurry back. And you heard those little feet go, they go <laughs> jump back into the bed. And it only happens once per child if they know that that's a firm limit. Mm. But everybody has to test until they trust that you're really serious about this. But just like we were talking about screens last week, just like modeling and setting this up as a relationship for life, that's what we're doing with sleep, is we're helping them develop good sleep habits, not just as babies or as young children, but all the way into their adult life, because if they value sleep and understand how to put themselves to sleep and cope when they're lonely in the middle of the night and they wake up, if they understand how to do that, then they know they're, you know, a lot of people have sleep problems as as older people, but um, we can set them up with the best habits to start. It's like serving broccoli for supper. You give them what they need, and they get those habits going from early, early childhood. Absolutely. Yeah, it's so true. We we do believe that, you know, it's a gift to give your child when, when you know they're capable of independent sleep and confidence going into bed and that, that it will affect their sleep for a lifetime. Yeah. So hooray for sleep. Mm. Um, and thank you for writing this book because so many families struggle with sleep, both as themselves and with their kids. So um, families and, and um, listeners, if you're struggling with this, look at the book, The Happy Sleeper, and tell us again how people can find you. Well, we offer sleep consultations to people all over the world. If they're in New York or L.A., we do them in-home. And if they're not, then we do them by Skype or phone. So um, you can look at our website, thehappysleeper.com, to find out how to contact us for a sleep consultation or our social media is at The Happy Sleeper. Great. So if you're struggling with this, please reach out because it's not something you have to endure like Jeff for 12 years. It is a solution. <laughs> me, me, I go right to sleep with that darn child. She, she, at, at least she grew up to have a daughter of her own that, uh, that fought it too. So that, that made life a lot better for me, I guess. That's good. <laughs> hey, <laughs> this has been Renegade Rules. We will be back soon with another episode. Check out Julie and Heather on the interwebs. And uh, thank you both for joining us. We'll be back soon. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Good fun, thanks. Yeah, bye-bye. And we are... Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. Music by Alexander Shoemaker. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh...